And it is Jesus who makes this a glorious day. Welcome to this morning's broadcast. Glad you could join us. Please turn in your Bibles to the book of Joel, chapter 2. Today we will see that the day of the Lord has certain characteristics and that it will have two installments. And now, with his message for today, is our pastor, Robert Elliott. Let's pray before we go into God's Word. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's true and accurate. We thank you that it's authoritative, that it's the boss. Jesus is the center of the word. He is the boss of our lives. But his word and what he's given us in the Old and the New Testaments are also boss to us, and we need to live obeying them. Help us not to just get smart in the Bible, but help us to get wise in obedience Teach us, Lord, from the pulpit to the pew tonight what you want us all to see about repentance. And we pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. We are in the book of Joel, the prophet to ancient Judah. And uh, you remember that a locust invasion and a famine and a drought and fires characterize the land and the people of the land as a judgment from God when Joel told them about God's will. There's some expressions that I'd like to share with you to start this sermon. Things like, hang in there, and it can't get much worse, and the sun will come up tomorrow. Uh, These are things that we sometimes say to others around us who are suffering tough blows in life. These are words that are designed to bring hope and comfort, but really they're shallow words because they're not rooted in God and His plan and will and purpose, but there are things that sometimes we say, and certainly the world without Christ says a lot. In Joel chapter 1, we have an inspired description of a literal locust invasion. And also in chapter 1, we have an inspired depiction of a real and literal drought and the resultant failures of all the crops in that land. Joel chapter 1, by way of review still, is an inspired report of literal ravaging fires that charred the ground and the trees and all the vegetation in the land back then. And so you would think, after chapter 1 reports all of those things, you might think that chapter 2 would have some kind of a hang-in-there message or a can't-get-much-worse-keep-your-chin-up message or the sun will come up tomorrow if you just press on. A cheering up, you might think, would happen in chapter 2, but when you read chapter 2, that's not at all what God had his prophet Joel say. And we're just going to look at the first 14 verses of chapter 2 tonight, and I'd like to read them through in their entirety to begin with, to let God's word speak for itself. So this is Joel chapter 2, starting at verse 1 and reading through verse 14. Blow a trumpet in Zion, and sound an alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. Surely it is near. 
A day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness. As the dawn is spread over the mountains, so there is a great and mighty people. There has never been anything like it, nor will there be again after it, to the years of many generations. A fire consumes before them, and behind them a flame burns. The land is like the Garden of Eden before them, but a desolate wilderness behind them, and nothing at all escapes them. Their appearance is like the appearance of horses, like war horses, so they run. With noise as of chariots, they leap on the tops of the mountains, like the crackling of a flame of fire consuming the stubble, like a mighty people arranged for battle. Before them, the people are in anguish. All faces turn pale. They run like mighty men, they climb the wall like soldiers, and they each march in line, nor do they deviate from their paths. They do not crowd each other, they march everyone in his path when they burst through the defenses. They do not break ranks. They rush on the city, they run on the wall, they climb into the houses, they enter through the windows like a thief. Before them the earth quakes, the heavens tremble, and the sun and the moon grow dark, and the stars lose their brightness." The Lord utters his voice before his army. Surely his camp is very great, for strong is he who carries out his word. The day of the Lord is indeed great and very awesome. Who can endure it? Yet now declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart and with fasting, weeping, and mourning, and rend your heart and not your garments. Now return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness, and relenting of evil. Who knows whether he will not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, even a grain offering and a drink offering, for the Lord is your God? In chapter 2, the judgment's intensity of chapter 1 intensifies. And in chapter 2, the metaphors that are used to describe a coming and a future invasion of Judah that would be even more devastating than the invasion of the locusts they'd already suffered. And in Joel chapter 2, we see that the Lord turns up the volume on his ancient scream to his people, Judah, repent of your sins. Joel chapter 2 paints the fearsome day of the Lord as being both on the immediate horizon to Judah at the time of Joel and the day of the Lord being on the distant horizon for them as a people. So this day of the Lord concept had two installments. We often see that in the Old Testament. We often see that if there's a line of mountains going out towards Suzanne for me, And if I stand perpendicular to those mountains and look out that way, I see one, two, three peaks distinct from each other. But if I look at these mountains from the same line in which they fall, they all can look like just one mountain. Joel is telling his first readers that there are two installments of this concept called the Day of the Lord. One installment is right on their immediate doorstep, and then the other installment of this day of the Lord is down the road in history, and there's a valley between the two mountains. 
that it probably would have been easy for the first readers of Joel's prophecies to know about. Maybe they were over here and they saw the two mountains perfectly lined up together and they looked like one mountain. But he's telling them there are two installments of the day of the Lord and between the first installment and the second installment is a space of time. Two installments of this concept called the day of the Lord. What is this concept called the day of the Lord? Basically, the day of the Lord refers to times when the Lord pours out his wrath on mankind. A principal fulfillment of the day of the Lord future is the tribulation period, Revelation chapters 4 through 19. But to say it again, the day of the Lord is a technical term of uh, scripture, and it refers to times when the Lord pours out his wrath on mankind, Jews and Gentiles. We're also going to see the day of the Lord can have a component to it of blessing. Let's think of what some of the others of the Bible have said about the day of the Lord. If you just go, Joel Amos is the next book to Joel. If you go to the next prophet, Amos, Amos chapter 5, verses 18 to 20, God moves another prophet other than Joel to write about the day of the Lord. And this is what God had Amos write about the same thing. Amos 5, verses 18 to 20. Alas, you who are longing for the day of the Lord, they must have been longing for the day of the Lord with respect to blessing. Alas, you who are longing for the day of the Lord, for what purpose will the day of the Lord be to you? It will be darkness and not light. As when a man flees from a lion and a bear meets him, or goes home, leans on his hand against the wall, and a snake bites him. Will not the day of the Lord be darkness instead of light, even gloom with no brightness in it? Amos was telling them, you think it's going to be okay because you're Jewish people in covenant with God? You want the day of the Lord to come to you because you figure it'll be blessings? Well, you'll be surprised. You'll be surprised, as much surprised as a man running away from a lion and runs into a bear. You'll be as surprised as a man who goes home thinking for rest and protection, leans your hand against the wall, and you get bitten by a snake in your house. Amos was telling him that the day of the Lord would not just be blessing, but it would be a bite. It would be judgment. Thanks, Pastor Rob, for your message today. And now it's time for Youth Talk with Pastor Nicholas Rogers. Good morning. This is Pastor Nicholas, and this is another edition of Youth Talk. And today we want to continue on what we talked about last week. We talked about Jesus and your image. You are what you do. Again, as we, we looked at our text, our text was taken from Luke Chapter 6, verse 43 and 44, it said, A good tree doesn't produce bad fruit. On the other hand, a bad tree doesn't produce good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. Figs aren't gathered from thorn bushes or grapes picked from a bramble bush. You see, as we talked about last week, there's no one who will go to a, a cherry tree to get an apple or, or an apple tree to get a cherry. You see, we need to understand that as a Christian, we are to portray Christ in our image. People are to see Christ. And we talked about how sometimes as Christians in the church, people always say they don't want to come to church because they say the church is full of hypocrites. Yes, I know this morning none of us are perfect, but the reality is that we have a Savior that we can come to and that people shouldn't see. Uh, you know, when we when we talked about it already in this you know series talking about brokenness, that shouldn't be what people see all the time. But people should see Christ and they should know um, if something is wrong with us, if we're going through a rough time, be able to comfort us because they know that's not us. 
But today we want to continue on the series and we want to talk about Luke chapter 6, verse 45. And it says that the good person produces good of the good stored up in his heart. Let me just stop there. A good person, a person who is in Christ, produces good out of the good stored up in his heart. You see, if you have bad stored up in your heart, that's not that, that's what's going to come out. A good person produces good. You know, we, we consider the, the old computer term, garbage in, garbage out. If we are filling our minds with garbage, garbage is going to come out. If we fill our minds with stuff that are edifying, that's going to lift us up, God's word, worship music, whatever it is, this is what we're going to be when we become a better person. So I want to ask you, what type of person are you? Are you a person that is storing up good? Are you a person that's pursuing Christ, doing all that you can? You see, we need to understand that we need to have good things in our heart in order to produce good things. The second part of verse says, an evil person produces evil out of the evil stored up in his heart. Again, we see clearly that as, as we think of the contrast of a good person and what they have in their heart, an evil person, they, if they continue to put stuff in their hearts, that's what's going to come out. As we consider, I remember a Gatorade commercial years ago where people drank Gatorade and they drank so much Gatorade that, you know, it came through their, their skin and people saw the Gatorade, the different color that they were drinking. This is what happens to us as we consider our lives. When people squeeze us and when people put us in a corner and when people are mindful and they, and they see us for who we are and they see us in our normal you know, way of life, what we're doing and we go into a bad time, whatever's inside of us is going to come out. So we store evil, that's what's going to come out. If we store good, that's what's going to come out. You see, I think that we need to understand that, you know, as the Gatorade, is it in you? What is in you? Is it good or is it evil? The last part of the verse says this, For his mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. Again, as we consider a person and we consider what um, exactly is, uh, as we think of people's lives and we think of the heart, you know, sometimes, like I said, we don't even have to even look at a person. We can hear what they have to say and realize what type of person they are. I know for me, growing up, I played a lot of baseball. And I remember, you know, as we had night league baseball and going out to the park, you know, you would hear guys using language that was not edifying. Curse words, you know, talking bad to people. And, and the list goes on. And that just became a habit for them. They didn't even know that what the words they were saying because... That was their life. That's what they said. That wasn't no different. But when we consider our lives as Christ, the question is, what comes out of our mouths? Is it the word of God? Is it things that are edifying? Or are we a people who put people down? Are we people that are, are so caught up in ourselves that, you know, we're not, we're not concerned about others? Again, as we consider his mouth speaks from the overflow of his heart. Whatever is at the core is going to come out. You know, as we consider a fruit and we consider when we squeeze it and when the juice come out as a, a nice, freshly squeezed orange juice, you know, that is good. You know, we like that. It's fresh. But we need to understand that as we consider our lives and we consider when we're squeezed and what comes out, the question is, it's only two options. It's either good or it's evil. It's not, a, it's not an in-between there. It's not like, oh, well, I'm going to be good sometimes and evil sometimes. No. 
our lives need to be, what is it the most? Is it Are, are we portraying Christ in what we do? Is this the image that we are portraying? Again, we you are what you do. You know, people are going to see my life. They're going to see the type of person I am by my actions. You know, I can say a lot of things. And in our Bahamian culture, you know, we, we say mouth can say anything. And yes, as we talk about this verse, it says his mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. The reality is that I can only put on a show for so long. But the truth is going to come out. If I'm trying to, you know, if I get in, a, in my comfort zone, the truth is going to come out. You truly get to see the person that, that people are. So again, I want to close by saying this. What image are you portraying? Is Christ being seen in your life? Or is it the evil of, of what's going on being seen? Again, we don't want to be known as a place full of hypocrites. We want to be known as a place that portrays Christ in all that we do. And we're not talking about a church building like Calvary Bible Church, but we're talking about the universal church, the body of Christ. We as brothers in Christ and sisters in Christ, we need to show this image to the world. Because the, the world will know we are different by what they see in us. And if they see the love of Christ and they see that flowing out of our hearts and through our, our, our speech, we can make a difference in this world. So I would challenge you. Find someone this week. Show them the love of Christ. And tell them the truth about the gospel. And now, today's ministry spotlight. Well, good morning, Paul Worrell. Good to have you here today. Good morning again, Pastor Rob. Thank Always you. Always a pleasure. <laughs> Thank you. We're in the recording studio uh, for an exciting purpose this morning, and that is to let our listeners know uh, what it means to have a marriage and a family ministry at Calvary Bible Church. You and your wife, Denise have been servant leading this group, and uh, please tell our listeners anything you would like about our marriage and family ministry. The marriage and family ministry at um, Calvary Bible Church was born because a group of members saw the need for an outreach to, to families and marriages because we saw a lot of destruction within marriages and subsequently within the family structure. You just look at a newspaper and you can see the effects of the destruction and the erosion of Christian values within marriages and within families. And we had a burden to reach out, not only within the Calvary Bible Church Assembly, but throughout the nation to bring God's perspective on marriage and as a consequence also on family. What kinds of things has the ministry done already? Well, we've put on um, seminars. One of the, the most well-attended one has been The Art of Marriage. We put on, I think, on three occasions. Mm-hmm. Very well-attended. And it really is a very entertaining, but also very accurate and clear discussion of God's plan for marriage, the roles of the father, the roles of the mother, um, the role of the husband, the role of the wife. It's a one-day event. Sometimes we made it a two-day event and gave the husband and wife an opportunity to get away from everything. Um, we hold it at a hotel, so you can also um, book a room. Yes. Also, and put some of the things that you've learned into practice. Right. 
I think you've also, as a ministry, presented some quality movies. We brought, presented some quality movies. Um, my favorite that we actually brought to the country was War Room. War Room, yeah, it was excellent. And it not only spoke to um, husband and wife, but it spoke to the Christian community, the value of prayer, which really should be paramount in any relationship um, among Christians. I found in my walk as a married man that prayer played the most significant role in developing my relationship with my wife. Mm. I did not come from a background of um, family devotions. My wife encouraged me to have family devotions, not as a nagging wife, but just as a reminding wife. And I must thank her for this in that she didn't take over my role. She wanted me to take on my role. Mm -hmm. And when I did take on my role, I could actually feel God moving in my family. Mm -hmm. It actually transformed my marriage. Yes. And that is the attitude we want to bring to marriages throughout this land, really throughout the world. You know, God designed marriage. Yes. It's God's institution. Follow God's plan, and that institution will be preserved. We see the results of not following God's plan. And marriage and family was really born because of that lack that we saw. Mm -hmm. We want to educate, encourage our people to follow God's plan for marriage. Exactly. And God hasn't left us groping around in the dark to figure out Not our own plan. Not at all. But in places like Ephesians, Ephesians 5, five. Oh, basically yes. husbands are to love their wives as Christ I loved love the, the church. church. And yeah. what that means is transformational. The sacrificial love and life of a husband willing to cover your wife no matter what. Not when you feel like it, but because you are her husband. Right. Right, and that same chapter talk, calls wives to uh, to respect and submit, submit. to or to res uh, respect their husbands. And boy, when that happens on both sides of the ledger, it's like a wonderful ball rolling down a hill. One reinforces the other, right? It's a beautiful tapestry. No doubt, listening to us this morning are, are people who are married to one another that have a wonderful uh, marriage. God has helped them to... Uh, sacrificially love or to stand under and to respect and everything's going really well. Mm -hmm. There are probably some other listeners that are married that um, are in a heartbreaking marriage currently. Uh, things are not going well. Right. Um, how would you encourage that kind of a listener? Without having details, my encouragement will have to be very general. Yes. I have to use it from my own experience. Allow scripture to be the arbiter of your um, differences. Wow, that's critical. To both agree that let the Bible judge what is right or who is right. Absolutely. Uh, wonderful. Please carry on. And you must be willing to follow through with that. But I will also, and it's also biblical, seek wise biblical counseling. Mm -hmm. um, it's always good to have a third party who is knowledgeable of the word, who understands um, the issues in marriages, to provide that unbiased approach to reconciliation and restoration. That's good. 
and no doubt some of our listeners are plugged into good churches, and that's great. They ought to go to their pastors and, and be humble enough to say we're having problems. Uh, for those of our listeners that aren't plugged into churches, uh, you need to plug into a, a Bible-believing church uh, this Sunday, start this Sunday. And uh, those of you who do not have a, a Bible-believing church yet, I'd also strongly encourage that you think about making an appointment at the Christian Counseling Center, Absolutely. which is located uh, near our church property on Collins Avenue, and uh, make an appointment. There's some godly uh, counselors over there that have, are well-experienced and very conversant with the Bible, and they will help you. But in both cases, you need to humble yourself and seek some outside help that's rooted in Scripture. Absolutely. Can I just add this analogy? Yes. If I have a Ford car, right, I, and it was designed by Henry Ford, I don't go to the designer of the BMW to fix the problems in my Ford car. Good point. So why are we going all over the place trying to find solutions to our marriages when our God, our Creator, designed this institution that we are having a problem with? Go to His Word. Go to His manual. Holy Scripture. Excellent. Excellent. Um, I think it would be good if uh, we allowed the uh, listeners to um, give us their email if they're so inclined so that we can email them when our family and marriage ministry events are happening. Would we that would be a good idea? Oh, yes. We would love to include them in our database. Excellent. The way that listeners could give us their emails would be to send them to eocradio at gmail.com. That's eocradio at gmail.com. If you'd like to email us your email addresses, then we can uh, see to it that you get regular email updates on the uh, marriage and family ministry here at Calvary Bible Church events, uh, things like that. Pastor Paul, thanks for being with us again. Pastor Rob, it's always a pleasure. Um, I just love introducing people to the Word, and Jesus Christ is my greatest love. Yes, me too. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the tremendous gift of marriage. We thank you for making some of us to be husbands and others of us to be wives, and that we can go through life together with a rock-solid commitment uh, until death do us part commitment. We thank you, too, that you've given us the manual for life, uh, the manual for life, which includes the manual for marriage in the Bible. And we pray, Lord, that those who are listening without a church home would make it their priority to find a Bible-believing and preaching and teaching church family starting this Sunday. And for those, Lord, that are uh, really needing to have a uh, Bible-based arbiter, a counselor to assist them in their marriage to make it what it ought to be, that they would uh, consider uh, making an appointment with the Christian Counseling Center located on Collins Avenue. To the end, Lord, that marriages would be all that you want them to be by way of a blessing, and that the blessing of a marriage would become the blessing of a home, that the blessing of a home would become the blessing of a nation. Oh God, we pray 
that we here in Bahamaland would put you first in our marriages, in our homes, and in our nation. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You've been listening to Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church, Nassau, Bahamas. Our morning worship services are at 8 a.m. and 11 a.m. in our sanctuary located on Collins Avenue. We encourage you to join us. Feel free to write us at eocradio at gmail.com. That's eocradio at gmail.com or P.O. Box N1684, Nassau, Bahamas. And remember, everyone needs a savior.